0: This question of meaning is an interesting question. And if science tells us there's no objective meaning to the universe, no purpose or meaning, does that make our lives purposeless and meaningless? Absolutely not. Quite the contrary. It means the purpose and meaning in our lives is what we make. It
1: makes what we do more important. What if they wanted to uh, do something immoral? What if they wanted to... Inflict self harm. Well, if, what if that's the meaning and the purpose that they ascribe to themselves? Would be a monster not to say, no, that is not your meaning and your purpose, but hold on. You just told him that's it's the only thing that makes sense on your worldview is that he has his own subjective knockoff of objective purpose and meaning. Well, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. And today we're going to be talking about science, religion, and Lawrence Krauss. I hope that you'll stay with us the whole time. And if you're new to the channel, we have a lot more like this. So I hope that you'll click that subscribe button and turn on the notifications link if you like listening to breakdowns uh, on topics like this and related to this with Christians and atheists. So Lawrence Krauss is well-known in the atheist community and has created a lot of the talking points that have made it into the lexicon of the YouTube atheist Bible, if there were such a thing. I mean, I hear uh, his comments uh, quite often. And uh, he may have chops when it comes to science, but when it comes to making philosophical statements, often he's out of his depth, particularly when it's the philosophy of religion. So we're going to take a look at some of what he has to say. Now, despite that he often says that, or is on record at least once, I've heard him say that he doesn't like to give the same speech more than once, he does use a lot of the same little anecdotes or little uh, nuggets of Krausism. And so we're going to go through some of the most popular today and we're going to take a look at it and see if they hold any water from a Christian perspective and see what a Christian has to say in response to them. So, this is from the World Economic Forum of 2013. And let's just jump right in and hear what Kraus has to say. Um, of course, religion is outdated in the 21st century. Um,
0: most religious people, to respond, it's, it's true that you may get many people saying they're religious, but none of them, in the first world at least, in the developed world, to first approximation, actually believe the doctrines of their faith. They like to be religious. They want to believe to use something from the X-Files. They, they, they want to believe in believing. So that Catholics don't really believe that when, they, that when a priest holds a wafer, it turns into the body of Christ. No one really believes that nonsense. I have, in the last week, for, for spent more time talking to Jewish atheists than, than I can count. Most of the Jews I know are atheists. And they say it's perfectly reasonable to be Jewish atheists because there's other aspects of the Jewish religion they like. So the point is that the doctrines of religion are outdated and that's for good reason they were
1: Okay, uh, first of all, no, nobody really believes this stuff in the first world. Well, you're looking at someone who believes it from the first world. Um, I, I can't speak for Catholic beliefs, although that makes me wonder, has Lawrence Krauss talked to that many Catholics? Because I talk to them, and uh, I don't get that vibe. Now, as he kind of says with the nominal Jews that he speaks to or whatever, you know, there are nominal Christians, and we're very aware of them, people that come to church or maybe there's some level of intellectual assent to Christian doctrine, but they don't actually really walk with Jesus or live out this faith. You know, these are the uh, Christmas and Easter type of Christians. Yeah, sure, those people are out there, nominal Christians, gotcha. But to say that no one actually believes this, uh, how in the world is it that this same Lawrence Krauss, and I don't know if we'll get it in these clips, but so often says, you realize that a huge chunk of the country doesn't believe in biological evolution and they believe it because of their faith or whatever, you know, okay, well, do they believe it or do they not believe it, Krauss? Which is it? I mean, a lot of times what you get, I think, from skeptics like this is, on the one hand, you get comments uh, that that make sense when you're making a particular point, but we're kind of talking out of both sides of our mouth. As we're gonna see here in a little while, and and I'll say it now in case I forget it then, um, on the one hand, you'll hear people say, you know, oh yeah, sure, some design. Uh, God creates the universe, but the only place where there's life is this little backwater uh, planet that's insignificant in the vast cosmos and everywhere else, it's absolutely detrimental to life. And you get people like Richard Dawkins saying, yeah, there probably are you know, advanced beings out there. Oh, which is it? Which is it? Whatever it helps in the particular moment that you're talking about a particular thing. I mean, what, what are we doing here? So uh, is it true that nobody really believes this stuff in the first world? No, that is laughably false. Of course that's laughably false. Are there nominal people, nominal religious people? Yes, of course there are. But nobody disputes that.
0: We're created by Bronze Age or Iron Age peasants who didn't even know the Earth orbited the sun. So those, so the wisdom in those books is not
1: wisdom at all. Okay. Now, first of all, uh, you'll for those of you that listen regularly, I, I provided some clips by uh, Michael Heiser uh, a few episodes back, where Michael Heiser. Um, shows, uh, makes the point that, look, um, it may be that you're misunderstanding the passages in the Old Testament that are that, that seem to give you some kind of a cosmology that is out of step with science, but consider the fact that if God wants to communicate to people in an ancient context who know nothing about modern cosmology and physics and quantum mechanics and all these kind of things, uh, that he's trying to communicate to them theological points why is he going to say, okay, now before we talk about this, I need to explain to you what quarks are, and I need to explain to you you know, where we're going in the future with science and all these kind of things that people um, thousands of years from now are going to understand. The person would be sitting there saying, does he not understand who I am? This is completely irrelevant to me. No, God was communicating to people uh, points that were relevant to them and that would be relevant to us that we can clear enough understand today after the fact, and he communicated it to, the, to them in a way that they would understand. He's not trying to communicate this sort of cosmology that Krauss is talking about here, or uh, the sort of physics or whatever else, or biology. That wasn't the point. The point was to communicate facts about the world um, that are important to make the theological points and about creating a nation that would serve him and a people that would serve him. So uh, this, 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 but this reliance that if the Bible isn't a scientific document, or if it doesn't answer all the scientific questions I would like it to answer, well, then it's irrelevant. Secondly, he says it's to Bronze Age peasants. Uh, That's a trope that goes around. Uh, Someone made a point, one of the Christians made a point in the YouTube channel that I thought was really, really important. Yeah, okay, Bronze Age peasants. Who does he think, what are peasants? Peasants are the common folks, you know, the working class people, the people that are, uh, you know, just normal citizens doing their job and going home. You know, is this not uh, the kind of people that Krauss hopes will buy his book? Of course he does. You know, he's, he's speaking to the peasants of our day. And whether they realize it or not, he is insulting them. <laughs> and peasants are not idiots. Okay, let's keep moving.
0: And people take the wisdom.
1: Oh, by the way, the, notice that the the only criticism there is it was uh, an, an age when they didn't have the level of science that we have. To, well, so what? That wasn't the point that was being made. And secondly, that it was a really long time ago. These old books. Well, so what? There's a lot of old stuff that's good. Um just because it's old, that's not a relevant criticism. Krauss do better. In fact, we've actually learned
0: something over the last 20 centuries, and, and science has taught us how the world works. Now, for science, the interesting thing as a scientist is that uh, God is completely irrelevant to science. Most scientists don't spend enough time thinking about God to even know if they're atheists, mm-hmm. because they try and understand how the world works, and God never enters into it. It's just completely irrelevant. And in fact, the more we've learned about the natural world, the more we've learned that you don't need any divine intervention to explain anything
1: Really? What an incredible, I mean, you know, just like we said on the Christopher Hitchens video, these big bombastic claims from the people that say we should just, uh, you know, appreciate how little we actually do know as we learn more. Well, is this true, this idea that scientists don't really think about God and that that, that God is completely unnecessary to answer these questions that we're trying to get answers to? Well, there are some people like that. Uh, uh, Biologist George Gaylord, for example, says about us that we are an eczema on the face of the universe. And we are, quote, the product of a mindless and purposeless natural process which did not give us, uh, which uh, did not have us in mind. It didn't have us in mind. But there are others who seem to disagree. What about physicist uh, Freeman Dyson, who writes, as we look out into the universe and identify the many accidents of physics and astronomy that have worked together to our benefit, it almost seems as if the universe must, in some sense, have known we were coming. Or how about Paul Davies, who says, I cannot believe that our existence in this universe is a mere quirk of fate, an accident of history, an incidental blip in the great cosmic drama. Our involvement is too intimate. We are truly meant to be here. Um, what about Roger Penrose speaking about mathematics he says it is hard for me to believe that such superb theories could have arisen merely by some random natural selection of ideas leaving only the good ones as survivors the good ones are simply much too good to be survivors of ideas that have arisen in a random way there must be instead some deep underlying reason for the accord between mathematics and physics John Polkinghorne says quote science does not explain the mathematical intelligibility of the physical world for it is part of science founding faith. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Yeah, for it is part of science's founding faith that it is so. Um, We got more. What about Peter Atkins, who believes that space-time generates its own dust in the process of its own self-assembly? Now, now listen to this atheistic description here. Uh, Space-time generates its own dust in the process of its own self-assembly, and he refers to that as a cosmic bootstrap. Uh, Referring to the self-contradictory idea of a person lifting himself by pulling up on his own bootstraps. Uh, But Keith Ward uh, says about this, about Atkins' view, um, that it's self-contradictory and is logically impossible for a cause to bring about some effect without already being in existence. He says, between the hypothesis of God and the hypothesis of a cosmic bootstrap, there is no competition. We were always right to think that persons or universes who seek to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps are forever doomed to failure. Charles Townes, who won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1964 for his discovery of the Maser, the forerunner of the laser, writes, quote, In my view, the question of origin seems to be left unanswered if we explore it from a scientific point of view. Thus, I believe there is a need for some religious or metaphysical explanation. I believe in the concept of God and in his existence. Arno Penzias, who used the propitious position of the space platform of Earth to make the brilliant discovery of the echo of the beginning, the cosmic background radiation wave, sums up the position as he sees it, quote, astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing, one with the very delicate balance needed to provide exactly the right conditions required to permit life and one which has an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. Quantum theorist John Polkinghorne rejects the many-universe interpretation, saying, Let us recognize these speculations for what they are. They are not physics, but in the strictest sense, metaphysics. There is no purely scientific reason to believe in an ensemble of universes. By construction, these other worlds are unknowable by us. A possible explanation of equal intellectual respectability, and to my mind, greater economy and elegance, would be that this one world is the way it is because it is the creation of the will of a creator who purposes, that is. It should be so. Cosmologist Edward Harrison reacts in a similar way, saying, quote, Here is the cosmological proof of the existence of God, the design argument of Paley, updated and refurbished. The fine-tuning of the universe provides prima facie evidence of deistic design. Take your choice. Blind chance that requires multitudes of universes or design that requires only one. Many scientists, when they admit their views, incline toward the teleological or design argument. Finally, Arno Penzias again reminds us that the notion that there is a teleological dimension in the universe goes back millennia. He writes, now get this, this is fantastic to me. The best data we have concerning the Big Bang are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole, end quote. You can get all those quotes and many, many, many more like them in John Lennox's book, God's Undertaker, which is fantastic and I recommend it to you. So is it true that scientists don't think about God? That this is an irrelevant question and that God is completely irrelevant to the study of science and what may, or are completely unnecessary uh, to explain what goes on in the naturalistic universe and the way that it is and where it came from and all those sorts of things? Absolutely not. And even scientists don't think so. So this is what those who listen to me speak regularly on this channel uh, know I refer to as chest thumping and it's it has real persuasive power to uh, Christians who are, are experiencing doubt or to um, unbelievers or people who are looking uh, who, who are uh, uh, looking to back up their own opinion with cherry-picked evidence this sort of thing really does uh, confirm what they want to be true or it can still doubt but it's just it's just mockery, it's just chest thumping, it's just um, overblown confidence, let's keep going.
0: As far as morality is concerned and the person you want to be, which is really what, what I think is the heart of what, what religion, when religion provides many things for people and we can't deny that, the question is how can we take the things that people need, community, uh, support, hope and, and use the real world? To build those quantities because religion if you base your beliefs and your actions on myths that are incorrect you're inevitably going to take irrational actions and so what we want to do is 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 what science does which is force people's beliefs to conform to the evidence of reality rather than the other way around and not assume the answers
1: to questions before we even ask them okay well it's we're not assuming the answers to questions before we ask them but i agree with him if you have wrong beliefs that can lead to wrong actions in the world and uh, yeah, I think there are religious people with wrong beliefs that lead to wrong actions. All of us can think of examples of that with terrorism and, and other things. Um, but you, you understand that goes both ways, right? Like that cuts both ways. Now, sure, we want to have right beliefs, but we all want to have right beliefs. And we all, of course, believe that wrong beliefs can be dangerous. Um, but that can happen within the realms of science, too. Uh, if it is, And I know this is something that Christian apologists have said for decades. Uh, but they say it because it's true. If you instill young people with the thinking that they are mere animals, uh, mere animals, and that morality is subjective, whatever Krauss wants to say about morality, fine, whatever. But you can't have objective morality without God as a foundation for that objective morality. And no matter what you have left, it's just subjective. It's it's uh, it's just uh, says who. It's your opinion. And I've been saying this a lot lately, but, I, but it's true. Uh, objective things are things that we can think of for shorthand as matters of fact, and subjective things are matters of opinion. Um, and it may be the opinion of a large number of people. It may be the opinion of everyone on planet Earth. Uh, but it's still just a subjective opinion and not objectively fact uh, if there's no grounding for that morality because you can always just say, says who? Says who? And we're going to get to see this more in just a few moments. So even though I've mentioned it a lot lately, I need to, I need to remind you here that, uh, you, know, if, if, you know, subjectively, what's the best flavor of ice cream? Well, it's a matter of opinion, right? Depends on the subject. Um, whose morality is correct? Is, is it okay to smoke marijuana for recreational purposes or to buy and sell marijuana for recreational purposes or not? Depends where you are and what your community thinks about that. Unless there's an objective foundation for that morality and guess what? That extends to abuses, that extends to sexual abuse, that extends to genocide, that extends to, uh, you know, of course, racial um, uh, discrimination, that extends to every evil on planet Earth. It's not really evil if there is no grounding for for objective morality. It just becomes a matter of opinion. And so that's, that's very, very important to this discussion, I think. And use the rational world to build a
0: global society, not an exclusionary society, but a global world where people can live together based on the reality that we're all humans sharing this planet, and we need to work together to build a better place. A morality based on rationality and not outmoded religious beliefs. A famous biologist once said, "Every scientist is an atheist when they go in the laboratory. They don't think anyone is twiddling the knobs. They and 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 um, that they accept the fact that the evidence of the experiment will tell them what's going on. They don't think
1: that someone's controlling it."
0: So uh, I I don't define myself as an atheist. I should first say that I define myself as an. Atheist. Wait a minute.
1: Hold on. First of all, so scientists are atheists when they go into the laboratory. Th- this is um this is a bit silly, frankly. Scientists who are doing work in those fields have to assume what is known as uh, methodological naturalism. That means for the purposes of their job, they're not going to presume supernatural uh, forces at work or something like that. That's because that's not what they're trained to deal with. They're trained to deal with, and they're doing an investigation, a naturalistic investigation of the world. So even if they personally believe that God exists and that Jesus rose from the dead and that miracles can happen and that there's a supernatural dimension to reality, they're not presuming that for their work. They're presuming naturalism. They're presuming methodological naturalism. That's a—that's opposed to method, uh, metaphysical naturalism, which has to do with your beliefs and claims about the nature of reality. So, of course, I mean, but that's true of, of any field. I mean, if someone is going to do geology, they're going to presume methodological geology. They're going to follow the principles and rules related to geology and uh, things like that. So, so this idea that um, Everyone's an atheist when they go into the lab. No, no, no. Everyone's a methodological naturalist when they go into the lab. That's important distinction. But to reference Lennox's work again, God's Undertaker, interestingly, he says that we live in an ordered universe and that it obeys rational laws. Um, You could just as easily, instead of calling that methodological naturalism, you could call it methodological theism because you're presuming uh, a very theistic idea that this world is rational and reflects rational thought, and that we can do investigations, and that there's order to it all, and and those sorts of things, which would hint at a rational mind as the creator. So we could just as easily call it methodological uh, theism. But of course, we wouldn't do that, right? Because we're not trying to to bug people. We're just trying to—but I'm just saying that can go either way. So are we atheists when we go in the lab? No, these people that do that are just methodological naturalists. An anti-theist. Um, namely, I oh, here he says he's not a uh, he's not an atheist. He's an anti-theist. We get uh, tagged a lot with this idea that we're just running on wish fulfillment as religious people. We would like it to be true, so so that's why we believe it. But here you've got a guy who would like it not to be true. Hitchin said the same thing. He would like it not to be true. He's an anti-theist. So, um, you know, watch and see. Is there any bias here? Now, I'm not going to hold it against him that he does that he's doesn't think it's true is a, is maybe a separate question from the fact that he would like it not to be true. but those might be related and there might be a motivation there. And likewise, for some Christians it may well be that they would like it to be true and that's a motivation to believe it. but uh, the, the the wish fulfillment thing can be a separate detail. but since these guys are always throwing it at us, when they tell me that we 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 don't want it to be true, we're going to point it out because we hear that a lot.
0: It would be presumptuous of me to say there's no purpose to the universe because I can't prove that. I can't prove there's no god. I can't say definitively there's no god. What I can say definitively, however, is that I wouldn't want to live in a universe with one. Okay? And and the reason for that is that that I find that this question of meaning is an interesting question. And if science tells us that there's no objective meaning to the universe no purpose or meaning does that make our lives purposeless and meaningless absolutely not quite the contrary it means the purpose and meaning in our lives is what we make
1: it makes what we do more important it makes the compassion we show up wait a minute It it makes what we do more important uh, you can't sustain that. It, it doesn't make it more important than if there was an ultimate purpose given to you by a designer. That 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 doesn't work. But while we're on the subject, let me let me go over here because what we have here, we have this physicist giving us a very deeply philosophical concept. Um, and and let's see if this is a common thing. Here is cosmologist Neil deGrasse Tyson, and this uh, young boy named Jack is asking uh, Tyson, "What is the meaning of life?" Let's hear what he has to say.
2: Okay. So wait, you have to tell everyone that because I, I, if I repeated it, you'd think I'm lying. Okay, go. Six and three
1: quarters. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you
2: love those fractions. Yes. Yeah. People know. Okay. If you're asking those questions now, you'll be the deepest thinking adult there ever was. So, so what is the meaning of life? I think. People ask that question on the assumption that meaning is something you can look for and then, oh, I found it. Here's the meaning. Here's what it is. I've been looking for it. Okay? And it doesn't consider the possibility that maybe meaning in life is something that you create.
1: Now notice here is what uh, uh, Krauss was just saying and this is an existential Sartian atheistic idea that we just decide for ourselves. we make up our own meaning as we go. These guys are not the first to say this. now um, the, the problem with it is is that meaning and purpose t- to have any meaning or purpose, uh, they would have to be a meaning or purpose that is ascribed to something or someone, namely an inventor typically. So um, a shovel doesn't decide to be a shovel. Someone invented shovels and said, these are for digging dirt. A hammer is designed and the idea is that this is for putting nails into boards. The inventor decides the purpose. Uh, If hammers and shovels could think for themselves and decide they wanna be something else, it it would make absolutely no sense. That's not what you are, you're clearly designed for this purpose instead of this arbitrary purpose that you've decided based on your own preferences. And in the same way, human beings, if they have a designer, uh, that designer gets to decide their purpose. If they don't have a designer, there is no purpose. There's just things they like to do. But if there's a designer, they have real meaning and real purpose. Um, I don't go off on this too much. This isn't really something that I harp on a lot, because if an atheist... It's I, this is not like an argument that I use, but if an atheist wants to say, well, I, I I can create my purpose for myself, okay, that's fine. Let's talk about one of the theistic arguments for God's existence in a resurrection case and go about this the right way. But it, since we're responding to him here, that's that's the that's that's a way of dealing with this. There is no ultimate. One day, if Hitchens and and company are right, then the universe is going to experience a heat death, and there will be no more life, and no one will remember, and there will be no uh, there'll, there'll be nothing left of the human race and no one will ever know about it now you might say yeah but within my lifetime there's meaning there's purpose for me right now there's meaning for me right now but that's just a category error you don't ascribe your own meaning or your own purpose it's like the shovel and the hammer again and for this precisely for this reason whenever i uh, you know talk to my kids about what they want to be when they grow up I don't tell them what everybody else does. Everybody else tells their kids, including Christian parents, wrongly, you can be whatever you want when you grow up. Now, is that true? Well, it's true in the technical sense that they're able to be a number of things. They're, they're actually not able to be anything they want to be. Um, But they shouldn't be whatever they want to be. If there's a designer, they should seek what was his purpose for my life. Just like the shovel had a designer and the and the uh, hammer had a designer and the computer has designers and there are purposes ascribed to them by their inventors. Man has an inventor and each individual man and woman ought to seek out what was the purpose that inventor had for me. And there are overarching purposes like glorifying God and serving him but there are specific individual purposes. What does he want for my life? And so with my daughters, I tell them you can't be whatever you want when you grow up. You be what God wants you to be. Um, But those things are going to be consistent with your motivations and your desires and things like that, if those are good desires um, that you should have. Uh, For example, my daughter said to me when when she was very young, because she loved My Little Pony, I want to be a pink pony when I grow up. Now, what am I supposed to say that? Am I supposed to say back to her, you know what, sweetheart, if you just believe hard enough and you try, me and Oprah Winfrey believe that you can be a pink pony when you grow up. would be senseless. She literally can't be a pink pony. The ontology is all wrong. Uh, Moreover, uh, since she's my daughter, uh, I don't think she can in the softer sense though she could, I don't think if she wants to please God, she can work anywhere. That is called the pink pony, if you catch my meaning. So the idea here is that uh, you should be what God wants you to be. Meaning and purpose is something given to you by a designer, and it only has any objective meaning, just like morality, it only has any objective meaning in that sense. If you're ascribing it to yourself, then it is the epitome of subjectivity.
2: You manufacture for yourself.
1: Manufacture, exactly right.
2: And so when I think of meaning in life, I ask, uh, have I learned something today that I didn't know yesterday? Bringing me a little closer to knowing all that can be known in the universe. Just a little closer, however far away all the knowledge sits, I'm a little closer. If I live a day and I don't know a little more that day than the day before, I think I wasted that day. So the people who, at the end of the school year, say, this summer, I don't have to think anymore. I'm thinking, what is, the, what, what, <laughs> what? The, to learn is to become closer to nature and to learn how things work gives you power to influence events, gives you power to help people who may need it, power to help yourselves to shape a trajectory. So when I think of what is the meaning of life, to me, that's not an eternal, unanswerable question. To me, that is in arm's reach of me every day.
1: Okay, so there he is. Now, what we what we want to ask uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is: Okay, you've got this subjective morality that, or subjective meaning and purpose that you created for yourself. It is completely subjective perhaps you would agree. There's no, there's nothing real about it. There's no, there's nothing grounded about it. You've, you've made it for yourself. But you say, those people that, that say, hey, I don't have to go to school anymore, um, you speak about that as though that's a bad thing. But don't you understand, Neil deGrasse Tyson, that the, the quest for knowledge may be something that you like. It's the meaning and purpose that you created for yourself, but it may not be the meaning and purpose that someone else created for themselves. And if someone would rather just sit at home and uh, smoke pot all day and be a completely unproductive for society why is that a bad thing why, why is that why, why would it be better to use a value based term that atheism cannot account for in any objective sense why would that be better for them to decide to learn something everyday why is it that that for anyone besides you who sees things differently than you why is it a wasted day for them to learn nothing the only way to say that it is would be to try and speak as though meaning and purpose the the meaning and the meanings and purposes that you recognize for yourself are also somehow binding or applicable to other people as well. Now let's say that Neil deGrasse Tyson were to say to us, "Yeah, I recognize that they're not. I I mean, I hate it, but I recognize. I'm just going to grit my teeth and recognize that they're not." Well, that's fine, but I don't think he would live that way. I think he, deep down, does think everyone should. And he uses terms like should and shouldn't, you know, and good and bad and better and worse. Uh, we'll see more of that in just a moment. But but I think that deep down, he does see that as, in some sense, binding on everyone. Everyone has a certain meaning and purpose that we share, that is objective, that we should want to learn. And I agree with him. The problem is his worldview— cannot account for it. He says that this quest for knowledge allows us, and notice he's inflicting his meaning and purpose. He's begun by telling young Jack that Jack can decide on a meaning and a purpose for his own life. It comes from him. It's not like something that you go out and find. It's within arm's reach. You decide it for yourself. But what if little Jack, and I don't know little Jack, but someone like little Jack wanted to do a genocide? What if they wanted to uh, do something immoral? What if they wanted to Inflict self harm. Well, if what if that's the meaning and the purpose that they ascribe to themselves would be a monster? Not to say no. That is not your meaning and your purpose. But hold on, you just told him that it was, and it's the only thing that makes sense on your worldview is that he has his own subjective knockoff of objective purpose and meaning. So, 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 what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Uh, it's not subjective. It's objective. But the Christian worldview can account for real meaning and purpose. Uh, Tyson is hitting on something. He's trying to force his meaning and purpose onto Jack. He doesn't say, you can have your own, now go figure out what it is. No, no, no. What he says to him is knowledge. It's the quest for knowledge. And whether he outright says it or not, he says in high and exalted terms, this will allow you to shape a trajectory for your life. In other words, accept this meaning because this is the one that matters as if his meaning and purpose is beyond him and something that we all share. By the way, a trajectory toward what? Out of what? Is there some good that we're trying to aspire to? He says a little every day a little bit closer to all world knowledge, which he'll never reach. But why is that a good thing? Because all you can say on naturalistic atheism is I mean, I like it. Okay. Some people like A lot of worse things. Some people like to sell drugs. Some people like, uh, you know, to harm themselves in some way. People like all kinds of things. To just tell people that they can make up their own purpose and their own meaning is not only sloppy and philosophically problematic, but it can also be dangerous. You need to be careful. Be careful with this armchair philosophy, honestly. All right, so um, so let's take a look now back at... uh, Krauss. Krauss has just said the same thing. And make up your own meaning, your own purpose. We've now seen the problems with that. Uh, you want real meaning and purpose, you need an inventor. They're the ones that can ascribe purpose and design and meaning. All right, let's keep going.
0: While more important, we're not being told what to do by some cosmic Saddam Hussein, who, by the way, in many religions doesn't just condemn you to torture for while you're alive, but for all eternity. You do it because we d- derive meaning and, in fact, the recognition not from religion, that all humans have equal dignity, but from science, that we all have, we're all a common species. In fact, that there's nothing sacred, that we create compassion and action, and in fact, that humans are no different than other animals in the sense of being evolved species. And we have to realize that we share the earth with them, and in fact, those ideas allow us to address what are the real problems of the 21st century. And if we keep going back to this med- medieval or earlier kind of myths, we won't address that.
1: Well, they're not myths. They're ontological groundings. So he says there are real problems in the 21st century, no doubt. And I probably agree with him about what many of those problems are, but why are they problems? Why are they bad things? Now, if you think I'm being pedantic and, and, and you're rolling your eyes at this sort of thing, there's a reason that you've heard Christian thinkers and philosophers say this sort of thing before. It's because it's it's actually true. You cannot in one breath tell people they get to make up their own meaning and purpose, and that morality is not objective in the sense that theists believe that it is. And then on the other hand, tell them these are the things you should care about. These are the things that everyone should be concerned with. This is your purpose. This is your meaning. Because now you're, you're just replacing God with yourself, or dare I say, with your interpretation of scientific data. This is a major problem. In fact, I, I sort of take umbrage at the at this sister's
0: remarks because I don't think anything she said had anything to do with religion. She said, understanding dignity, treating people with compassion, and then what people of religion do is they, they usurp that. They say, if you're not religious, you can't have any of that. But all of those ideas come from a rational view of who we are and how we should uh, relate to others. The best example. Okay, th-
1: those ideas. Okay, th- this is again. I know that he's listened to what Christian philosophers have to say about this. The, the The point is not that you can't do good things and treat people with dignity and help people and be philanthropic without believing in God or without religion. The point is there's no grounding for it. You have no basis for saying that this is an objectively good thing. That's that's the point. And Kraus doesn't seem to get it any more than Hitchens ever did. Example
0: of tolerance and across cultures that I can think of is nearby here in Geneva at the Large Hadron Collider. There is a machine that's built by people from a hundred different countries, speaking a dozen different languages, with many different religions and cultures, building these devices that have to work to a millionth of a meter, and it works because science brings people together. Science tells us that we we can we are a common species and we can work together to make the world a better place. And I will close with a quote. You get, you, I won't sing it. You'll be pleased to know. Um, so I, from Jacob Bernowski, who said, you know, the world is permeated through and through by science. And you can't turn it into a game by, merely by picking sides. Like it or not,
1: the world is governed by science. The phys- OK, OK, hold up. Uh, f- first of all, uh, the Large Hadron Collider, that's fantastic. I love that. When I used to have a Sony account, my screen name was Hadron the Collider. <laughs> I thought it was the coolest thing ever. But yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. What, and it brings people together. Yeah, that's wonderful. What's the problem? Do I have to be an atheist to appreciate that? I really don't get the point being made, except that religion divides people and the Large Hadron Collider unites people. Science unites people. Come on, man study the history of science and tell me that science has never divided people or that religion has never united people. Uh, All you're just talking about is that people can be united under a common goal, even if they have different beliefs about the metaphysical nature of reality. Okay. I I agree. That's not not a point for you. It's not a point for me. It's just a point, right? And I agree with you about it, okay? Secondly, what was the thing that he just said here? What did he just say? Physical world. And if we want to deal with our real world, and if we, the world is governed by science. The world is governed by science. I don't even know what that means. What, what can that even possibly mean? It's, it doesn't make any sense. The physical world. And if we want to deal with our real... Do you mean nature? Nature would make more sense. I don't know. Problems, we have
0: to accept what nature is telling us instead of imposing our beliefs on nature.
1: I think if, I think if you take the long term... You hear how he anthropomorphizes nature? We've got to listen to what nature is telling us. Nature is the governing authority in charge. I mean, and, and you guys give Jonathan Pritchett a hard time for speaking about science as though it's a religion. I don't get it.
0: You have a worse view of societies that have been run by religion in the long term of human history from the Crusades and back before that. I think that you found that human freedom Eventually arose with the, with the enlightenment of, of of knowledge and in fact open questioning, which is the hallmark of science. And in fact, if you want to call it a dialogue of faith and reason,
1: wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, once you to know open questioning is, is is what science does, that's that's what we've just heard. Now, I want you to hold that in your mind for in a few minutes.
0: The hallmark of science is that nothing is above question, including God. And the minute we stop, we make certain things sacred and not subject to question. We We demean ourselves and we stop thinking.
1: I also think we're. Well, now, hold on a second. Is he aware that there is this whole realm of theology? That I mean, I work at a seminary. We 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 ask questions about God all the time. I mean, the, what we it's theology, right? I mean, are you familiar? I mean, seriously. Again, I, I the thing about um, I think a lot of atheists think that if they were to become religious, there would no longer be any more quest for knowledge. There would no longer be any um, questions to be asked. We just sit around and just that. Well, God did it. You know, I I this is. This is ridiculous thinking. It's out there in the culture, but, you know, I'd love to have a conversation with a person like this and say, look, do you not realize that the, the, we have 2,000 years of church history where some of the greatest minds in history have rallied around this topic? What is God like? Does God exist, and what is He like, and and how do we make sense of certain things, and 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 how, what is God's relationship to that? The, the questions don't end. There's nothing that can't be questioned. We we ask questions, probing questions about all of these things. We believe that our God is pleased with our quest for knowledge.
0: We're kind of. I have to say, I think we're missing. We're we're deviating from the point of this discussion. The question. We're, the question isn't isn't is religion important? Because that's an obvious thing. Religion is obviously important. Great. So are nuclear weapons. The, the, the question is, is religion outmoded, and are nuclear weapons outmoded? And would the world be a better place without them? And the answer...
1: No, the question is, is religion real, and are nuclear weapons real? And the answer in both cases is yes.
0: Both those is yes. Uh, okay, religion is very important, nuclear weapons are very important, but neither of them in the modern world serve a productive purpose. And so I, I think that... I, I, def, I, I accept and don't need to debate the question of whether religion is an important part of of the way the world is run. The question is, should it be, uh, should it continue to be, and is it decreasing? And in fact, what also hasn't been pointed out is that in most places, in fact happily, monotonically in the the First World, um, the people identifying themselves as religious is decreasing year by year. The first year in England, by the way, as you know from a recent poll, more than a Fit more than half the population finally acknowledged that they, they didn't have any religious
1: affiliation. In the United States even, it's been decreasing in spite of the efficiency
0: of competition. So
1: I find it... Actually, let's pull together some of what Krauss said earlier about certain people that don't believe, says nobody really believes this stuff, but of course they do, right? But uh, let's pull some of that together. What What is actually the case, and you can check this out for yourself. It's not that difficult to research the data and find it, but what's actually happening is that in the mainline Christian denominations, The people who were nominal all all along, the people that Krauss is talking about who didn't believe and were just kind of going along because they felt like they should go to church or they just hadn't admitted to themselves that they're just not really believing this stuff. Okay, those people are are starting to identify as nuns or as atheists or whatever. But uh, what we're finding is that... And those denominations are dying. Those die- that's true. The mainline denominations are dying out and people are leaving those. But where they're going is to uh, non-denominational churches and other churches. And what we see is actually evangelicalism is actually holding its own. Um, And the people that were more serious, that always really did believe, they still really believe. And the people that were just nominal, yeah, they're slipping away. But what you're left with is still an evangelicalism that is holding its own and is actually stronger as a result because it looks like the newer generations are interested in what is true, not just I'm just going to do this because my family always did or whatever.
0: I find it remarkable. So the idea is that science doesn't have any spirituality, which, of course, is wrong. If you want to get awe, and want, the reason I write books, the reason I talk about science, look at a Hubble Space Telescope picture of the 400 billion galaxies in our universe. Look out and see galaxies 10 billion light years away that may once have had civilizations around them that are living, each of them, as 100 billion
1: stars. Look. Now, hold up. Again, I want to say something about this alien business um, based on what he just said. Next time an atheist says to you as a Christian, whoever you are out there listening, Oh, you, you believe that um, you believe that uh, Jesus uh, really rose from the dead because there were all these eyewitnesses and all these kind of things. And and well, why don't you believe in aliens? Because after all, there are people that claim that sort of thing. Why don't you point out to them that people like Lawrence Krauss and Richard Dawkins and others, who are the movers and shakers in the atheist community over the past uh, couple of decades at least, they they believe in aliens or at least they think it's highly likely why don't you why don't you point that out to them uh the the only rub i can think if they if they grant that the only rub i think they must have is that well is there something in the bible that says that there aren't any aliens i i don't i don't i don't know where they're getting we did an episode years ago on uh what would it mean for christianity if aliens turned up if suddenly we found out there was aliens nothing as far as i can tell be really interesting It might prompt some good theological discussions and questions, but I don't think it would do any damage to Christianity. It's weird. It's weird what people uh, poke at. Surely you don't believe in aliens, and yet atheist after atheist believes in aliens. Look at what we learn about the universe. Look at how atoms work. Those things produce awe
0: and wonder and mystery. The reason I'm a scientist is I love mysteries. And so, to pretend that science is just dry and has no spirituality, and therefore is some somehow less significant than faith, is just to misunderstand science and and to
1: demean it. And so- well, we know that Lawrence. And I don't mean to, I'm not trying to be um, a jerk here, but we know that Lawrence Krauss likes to play with definitions. Um, he, he admittedly plays with definitions when it comes to uh, things like beginning and what the word nothing means, and and these kind of things. But uh, what does he mean by spirituality? Do you, do you believe in the spiritual? Do you believe that we are substance dualists that have a physical body and an immaterial spirit or soul? Um, I don't think he does. So if not, then you need to tell me what you mean by did Do you just mean a sense of wonder about the That's what he must mean. It's the only thing I can make out of this is that the, the, he must mean there's just a sense of wonder and like he said, mystery and awe about the universe, but spiritual, I, that's sloppy. What do you mean? So the point, the, the, the the, the, the discussion
0: we can have is how wonderful and amazing the universe is and I think we would share in that discussion. But to condemn science as being um, consumerism, look, I'm an educator. I want to educate people because I want to, them to learn about how to live a better life and how the world works and to be able to make their own decisions and to experience more joy because the more you understand yourselves, and the more you understand nature, I think the more enriching life is. I think that okay. you hit a key point, but and I agree on with a second.
1: You. I, I don't know what they're—I don't know what the other characters on stage have said here, but th- that he may be reacting to. But like, I, I don't know that I've ever, like, ever run into someone who is against science. I, I really don't know that I have. It's kind of like when people talk about the you know uh, these weird things like uh, snake handling churches. You ever heard of a snake handling church? There was a reality show where they had a couple of them for a little bit. These snake handling churches, where they believe that based on a misunderstanding of the ending of Mark, they think that uh, uh, they can handle, they can hold these snakes, and and nobody, and the snakes won't bite. They'll they'll be perfectly safe, and these guys end up dead. But the point about it, it's not funny. But the point about it is, I I I hear you know about that being all over the American South. these, These these snake handling churches. I come from. My family comes from the Appalachian Mountains region I my family both sides comes from Cookville Tennessee which is West Tennessee and um, I've been all over that area pastored in a place called McMinnville Tennessee which is which is also rural Tennessee you know not too far I, I don't I couldn't take you to a snake handling church I, I can't tell you where one is I've never been to one I've never seen one If I didn't know better I would just say they were like, an urban legend, but I know they, they do exist or have existed or something, but, but I, I don't know. I don't know anything about that in the same way. It makes me think like, who are these people that you're, that you're fighting against these uh, fictitious boxers that you're sparring with that think that science is a bad thing. I've never met anyone like that. I've never met anyone like that. Even, Oh, by the way, when Jonathan Pritchett, my co-host says it, it's tongue in cheek. Okay. Some of you were thinking, well, your co host it's tongue-in-cheek, all right, that's, that's not the point. You love science too. He just likes to get you guys riled up. But I've never met anyone who actually believes science is a bad thing. Do completely.
0: That you can't condemn uh, a whole population because of, of, of some individual, okay? Uh, but the difference is, and, and, is that there are no rule makers in science. There are no authorities, that's the hallmark of science. There's no such thing as a scientific authority. There are scientific experts but the lowliest student can, can in fact disprove any, there's no chief scientist. There may be a chief rabbi, there may be a pope, but there's no chief scientist. We say, oh, what's, what's the answer? How should we behave? That's the, key, that's the key facet of science that makes it so wonderful is that there are no authorities. Now, of course, scientists, although many people wouldn't realize this, are actually people. And therefore, <laughs> um, they have all the same foibles as anyone else in their scientists who, are, who abuse, their science as, they, as well as every other aspect of their life but the key aspect is there are no rule makers
1: um, let, let me go back I, I feel like this woman sitting next to him looks that's how i feel listening to that just okay so this is one of the key, chief things i want to talk about here is it true that there are no authorities in science well clearly not um First of all, the government has some say in a lot of what goes on in, in science in our nation. Right? You can't carry out certain experiments, you can't do certain things, you can't you know, get certain funding. The government is certainly has some level of involvement. But then on top of that, um, even if you're right, there are gatekeepers. What about the people that control the uh, publications? Those people are very much gatekeepers, and in that sense, they're authorities. And so you have the people that handle the peer-reviewed journal articles and things like that. But then on top of that, you also have a culture. Um, and the culture itself serves as an authority. If you want to understand cultures, I don't just mean culture in the soft sense. Cultures are very real things. They they have um, you know uh, structure to them. They have a history that has created, to some degree, the fabric of the reality of the culture. They have artifacts and they have legends within the cultures and so things like this even even the culture of businesses have these things and so it results in unwritten rules and codes of conduct that everyone just kind of understands. And newcomers to the culture have to get integrated into that and and have to figure that out before they're gonna be successful. And the culture itself can serve as a sort of authority. If you really want a good book on this, I I would recommend Edgar uh, Sheehan's Organizational Culture and Leadership. I think it's in its fifth edition and anyone getting business degree needs to read um, Edgar Sheehan's Organizational Culture and Leadership. Uh, It's just fantastic and it explains all of this and the cultures, the microcultures that develop within organizations and and institutions uh, like scientific institutions, like the the community of science itself. Um, But then beyond that, I just finished a great book uh, called To Change the World by uh, James Davison Hunter. It's an Oxford book that I, uh, Oxford pu- uh, published book that I think would really uh, behoove you to read this because it talks about how is it that that cultures change, and the thing is they're very difficult to change. And most people, including the religious right, has often made this mistake of thinking that you can change the culture uh, most of the time by changing individual hearts and minds. That if we change enough individual hearts and minds, then somehow that will change the the culture itself. Unfortunately, and counterintuitively, it doesn't work that way. Typically, it's not from the bottom up, it's from the top down. Um, Think about this, for example. You, You hear the preachers say things like that. And we certainly should be involved in evangelism. That's what I live for, reaching people. But we should be reaching people because we care about people. And perhaps one day that could change the culture in general. But you hear those preachers preach that way, that we can change America by reaching these individuals. Uh, but, and I don't say it's impossible. But here's the thing. Those same preachers would, would point out that um, abortion is now legal in some sense almost everywhere in the United States. And yet uh, the majority of Americans don't, don't agree with it. How is that? Uh, a very small percentage of of the population, uh, well, it's certainly a minority of the population, um, is uh, same sex attracted. But yet, um, it, it has affected our laws and, and our and our uh, entertainment world and our everything, right? And it's, we're not here to talk about that. But I'm just saying, um, Kraus himself talks about how um, so many, like forty percent or more or something, I don't know what the number is, of Americans don't believe in evolution, but yet it's taught in all the classrooms. How is that possible? If it's about changing the hearts and minds and get the majority of the hearts and minds on your side, and then it changes the fabric of the culture. Then, the, if the bottom up approach works, then we would expect those things to change, but it doesn't really happen like that. The culture changes very difficultly and not not without a fight and it's top down. And it's not even the people that are in the center of leadership that change the culture, but people that are close to the center on the periphery. And so that, there's, all this, there's all this stuff that goes into it, but the point that we wanna make is, Science has a culture. It has its own unwritten rules. It has its own uh, gatekeepers and all of those things. And so the individuals that make up that culture may not serve as authorities, although some of them almost certainly do in some sense. The culture itself serves as an authority. It's for that reason that you have people like Stephen Meyer who are on the outs who's <laughs> whose uh, scientific chops cannot be questioned, but yet he would be ostracized in certain circles uh, because he broke the unwritten rules um, as it relates to intelligent design or whatever, right? So, so yes, they very much are authorities, and uh, that's why I look, I feel like that woman looks right now. But let's keep going.
0: Scientists would say that "why" is ultimately a stupid question. It doesn't. I mean, uh, <laughs> I think anyone here who's a parent. Knows that, you know, if you have a child, the ultimate answer to why, why, why
1: is go to bed.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and I think that we, you know, we out when we. Okay. Now, now he, now, so so he, uh, what he's hitting at is when you ask the question, why he says this in other places, when you ask the question, why usually what you really mean is how, right? Okay. But here's the thing. I want to know why because the, remember he's the meaning and purpose questions those are those are those are why questions why am I here you know why am, am am I the way I am why is the universe life permitting what am I supposed to do in this universe but he says that, that, that these are reducible to how questions that now that's you trying to still find a way to explain everything with science but remember this is the guy remember how I told you a moment ago to put a pin in the question of um, uh, of uh, whether all the questions are open with science. We're able to question everything. It's these religious people who want to put an end to questions and just say, God did it. Well, we showed that that's not what religious people are interested in. We question everything related to the nature of God as well. However, you, it's, it's, it's the scientist before us here today who is saying to us that we have to stop at the why question. Don't go there. Don't Don't ask those questions. Just stick with the how questions. Don't ask the why questions. Those are those can't be answered anyway. Why can't they be answered? Well, it's not not the purview of science. Therefore, they can't be answered. Is is what I'm basically getting here? Forgive me if I'm wrong. Well, you know that's okay. That's um, that's interesting that you think that way. But scientists that that sort of scientism that the only useful knowledge is what can be brought to us by science can't even sustain itself. It's what we call a self-referentially incoherent statement. The statement itself. Can't be scientifically demonstrated everything the only things that are important are the, are the only the only things that we can know are the things that we can know because of science okay that statement can't be known according to science right so this thinking goes just right down the toilet
0: whenever we say whenever we say why we really mean how and so we can understand how the universe works but we why do we need to ask the question why it may have no fundamental meaning and so i don't think science presumes to answer that question and if religion presumes to answer that question, I think, inevitably, it's proved itself uh, not being able to, 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 to do that. In terms of the Tree of Knowledge and the, the speaker in, in the back, who, who um, um, we, let's not talk about the God particle, because it's, it's not. Um, but uh, why, and you said it yourself, why do we have to inter- spend so much time interpreting the Bible? What is special about that book? that no, is different than anything I, else. Special. I mean, that's the point. Uh, we okay. should not waste our time trying to interpret what people who didn't even know there were dinosaurs, or the earth orbited the sun, or that evolution happened. Why should we try and interpret those ignorant beliefs in a modern world where we actually understand things?
1: Okay, well, so so here's the thing. Again, um, we are interested in what the Bible has to say because it turns out that there is a God, and that God raised Jesus from the dead, and we discover that through um, through philosophical argumentation, some scientific uh, inferences that we make based on science, and historical analysis of the events surrounding the resurrection. So, if God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead, and principally, this book is the one that 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 gave us that, and and purports to uh, to, to give us more information related to those affairs, and. Uh, you know, then, then that means that this book is seemingly very important because it seems to be the message of that God and that Jesus, right? So you're going about it backwards. Um, also, it's, it's as though he thinks that the Bible is, that, the, the, is you know, the, the, this, is, this book is supposed to be some kind of a thoroughly scientific textbook when that's not the point of the Bible. That's not what the Bible is here to be for us. Um, that's not to say that it, there's not some overlap or things that are important, but th- th- that's not the point of it. Why does he think, wh- what is the threat here that he's concerned about? It's as if he thinks that people are just going to keep looking to the Bible for scientific answers to things, and that somehow it's going to impede uh, science, uh, the, the, the scientific disciplines. I, I, don't, I don't get it. We don't go to the Bible d- just to find out. It's not like when we're sitting around in the lab, it's not like we're sitting around in a lab trying to understand chemistry. Well, what does the Bible say about chemistry? Let me go see if I can figure that out. And then go back to, oh, we're trying to figure out, um, you know, uh, geology. Well, let me look at the Bible and see what it says. That's not how it works. We do that stuff in the lab. If the Bible has something interesting to say, great. But the point of going to the Bible is to understand and know God better and what he wants for humanity. That's the point.
0: What, what scientists hope for and what science does for us and what I hope every student and every person experiences once in their life is to have something they deeply believe in that's at the heart of their being, that without it they wouldn't feel they were human. Proved to be wrong, it happens to me every day as a scientist, and that opens your mind. And so the point is that no, I'm ready to change my views the minute nature tells me that. And if we if we all were willing to change our minds when we are proved wrong, the world would be a better place. I'm, but there I'm, is a simpler answer, and the answer yeah. is we're descended from a common ancestor. We're not. We're not. Descended from modern apes, we we are we have a common ancestor, and it's an it's not a, as I said, it's like Bernowski's thing. It's not a question of choosing to believe. It's like choosing to believe if I walk out the tenth floor of a window that I can not walk. The, we it, are descended from a common ancestor. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the point is that that belief is I don't believe in anything. Um, I, I I asked the question, you know, how. Did,
1: I'd like to know what his understanding of the word belief is. Uh, clearly, you believe that that chair would hold you when you sat down. I doubt that he got down and took the chair apart to see if it would hold you. No, he sat down in the chair. Of course, he believes things. What do you mean you don't believe anything? He just said a moment ago that he that he wished people would have something they're really passionate about, they believe in, challenged, and he said, I would change my views. What does he mean? I'd change my beliefs. It's just trying to get away from any language at all Um that has any that has any religious connotations or ever has
0: how did how did we arise here and in fact i i i've what i've what's remarkable is that i've discovered that uh from studying science that in fact uh uh humans evolved from earlier species of animals and that life originated as chemistry turned to biology and then in fact the whole universe can arise from nothing i just wrote a book about it without any divine intervention so No, no, no,
1: no, no. no, no. That is a that is a definite overstatement. Uh, You can watch other videos of Krauss, and he talks about what he means by the universe coming into existence from nothing, and what he means is he has to redefine nothing. Nothing is uh, philosophically, when we're talking about nothing, we're talking about not anything. (laughs) We're not talking. What he's talking about is you've already got space and time and a roiling sea of balanced positive and negative energy. You got a lot of stuff there, right? That's not nothing. That's something. There are potentialities, powers, possibilities, properties there. Stuff can happen. But, uh, and so that's as, that's as good as he can do. So he's like, look, we can do this. So that's a universe from nothing. No, that's not a universe from nothing. A nothing would be a universe from not anything. And not anything has, you know, some people say what rocks dream about or something. That's nothing. You know, so that there, there are with that, there are no powers, no possibilities, no properties, no potentialities. Nothing can happen. You have to have a cause. This, this is, this is um, terminological acrobatics.
0: Is I don't see any evidence of God. I don't see any evidence that there's a teapot orbiting Jupiter. I can't prove that there isn't, but I, since I don't see any evidence for God in any of my studies of science, the question is irrelevant.
1: If yeah, tomorrow, okay, great. Well, so, so, so here's the thing. Again. This is a man who knows the difference but seems to regularly confuse methodological naturalism with metaphysical naturalism. He says, well, everybody's an atheist when they go into the lab. Right, that's methodological naturalism. Christian scientists can presume methodological naturalism when they when they go into the lab because that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. Um, I liked how Blake Genta once put it that um, I hope I understood him correctly or can describe it correctly. But he said, you know, someone who doesn't even believe that the Bible is inerrant or without error, without contradiction, could presume methodological inerrancy and sit down and say, all right, I'm going to, as an experiment, see how I could square the claims of the Bible so that they're not contradictory and not in error, just, just to see what the strongest possible reading of this might be. The person might not believe in inerrancy, but they could they could do work in that area and presume something like methodological inerrancy. And in the same way, there are many Christians who are scientists who presume methodological naturalism when they go into the lab, but that doesn't mean that they are metaphysical naturalists. It doesn't mean they actually believe naturalism is true. And uh, we've just seen again and again and again, he said, well, we don't need God to answer this question or that question. Well, of course, in the lab, you're not supposed to presume God is the answer to these things. The problem that he has is, and the reason for this confusion is he's bumping up against this question when he's trying to figure out cosmology. And so the best he can do is just to say, well, I can't really get something from nothing. So we'll call this something that is very much something. We'll, We'll label that nothing and then show how the universe could arise from that doesn't work. So anyway, uh, this is, this is Lawrence Krauss. Um, hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I, just, I, here I am and I realize that for some of you out there that disagree with me who are atheists, you think, well, you probably just don't understand these guys. Listen, I've, I've been, I've been studying this stuff for, for, you know, 15 years or something. I've listened to all of these guys for years and, uh, from the highest minded atheist voices out there, there are problems and it's not necessarily where the problems come. It's not that they're not good within their field. It's that Lawrence Krauss, who may be some kind of a, you know, revered name in your household. When he starts talking about philosophy or something, it's, it's then up for grabs. He's not, he's not doing science anymore. Okay. When Richard Dawkins, same thing. Um, a lot of these guys just don't, just don't, can't cut it when they get into that arena. And that's the arena they have to come into is philosophy of religion to start talking about these things or history with with the resurrection or something. And they just don't, they just, they're going to, and I say this gently and lovingly, they're going to bungle it there because that that's they're out of their depth. Um, And, and, and when it comes to the YouTube atheists, I've now, this is 21. If we count Neil deGrasse Tyson, that's 22, 22 atheists. Uh, celebrity atheists or YouTube atheists that I've dealt with in this series. Most of the time, it's just mockery, just pure mockery. When they address the arguments, uh, they make common mistakes related to uh, how, how the argument is framed, like voicing what is supposed to be an equivocation fallacy with the Kalam cosmological argument or something like that. We, stuff that's been talked about you know at the academic level for decades, right It's just but most of it is just mockery. and, um, and so I, I have to say at uh, atheist number 22 today, I am still emphatically a Christian and I, I I don't even think I'm the best we've got, but I have found most of the uh, most of the criticisms trivially easy to answer. And so I encourage you, if you're an atheist, go outside today, take a deep breath, look around you, look at your hands, look in the mirror at your incredibly complex frame and ask yourself the question, am I just, I mean, seriously, am I going to believe this? There's not a creator. I mean, just ask yourself, honestly, and be open to it. Tell you what, I'll do the same. I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.